All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain Westwire football preview 2022 extravaganza team specific podcast, UNLV. That's a lot of words, Matt, to say we're talking about MWR.com and the Rebels this week. Well, you got to start somewhere, right? We, we, we do, and I apologize, we apologize, apologize if you've been listening to these in order. We've had uh, some scheduling stuff going on, but we're back. Get ready. Camps have started at this point, so there's a little bit of news for you. UNLV, not the best, but... This is our preview 10 of 12. We'll have today, UNLV, obviously, New Mexico, San Jose State coming up. Then we'll have like uh, the season's here, Matt. We are in August for football. Games are like three mm-hmm. weeks, less than three weeks away. Yeah. And, and you know, with these team previews and with our mega preview coming down the pipe, we will make sure that we've got you absolutely covered uh, with every team, uh, discussion on every team before week zero. I get it. All right. So we're going to drop it in with the Rebels here, UNLV. Marcus Arroyo is back for another year. And if we go back to last year, the big key, if you listen to most of our podcasts, our previews, and just throughout the offseason, UNLV wasn't necessarily a bad team last year. They were unlucky with some injury stuff, but also they had many, 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 too many games that were one possession or less, and they lost them all. And it, and that's a problem. It really kind of depends on how you look at the season. Um, you know, because, and I was thinking about, you know, how to sort of reflect on 2021 in particular. And I was sort of struck by the, the phrase. So what I came up with was, you know, was it more of the same old song or was there actually real progress? And honestly, I think it was sort of in between because you're still talking about a team that went two and six, two, or excuse me, two and 10, two and six in the Mountain West, excuse me. Um, you know, you mentioned their 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 bad luck in, in close games. They were 0-6 in games decided by eight or fewer points. But it wasn't like we've talked about with a couple of other teams where, and I think it was with Colorado State in particular, we talked about how they blew a number of fourth quarter leads late and had these really catastrophic things. I mean, there were shades of that with the Rebels. There was some really questionable play calling at certain junctures of the game I think most notably against San Jose State in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they had a chance to tie, I believe, against UTSA uh, before a game-ending interception. Um, you know, they came up just short in overtime against Eastern Washington. But when you take a step back and look at how the team actually performed, like you could also make the case they were lucky just to be in that many close games because they were still 115th by SP plus overall, 117th on offense, 104th on defense they were still in the triple digits and net points per drive. Yep. They were in the triple digits nationally by available yards percentage per drive. So they were 107th in the former 114th in the latter. So, and, and if you just think in terms of like traditional statistics, you know, look no further than what they did on defense last year, they were still dead last in the mountain West in yards per play allowed 6.15 Although, ironically enough, that was actually their best per play average since 2016. Yikes. Um, you know, they, they weren't terribly explosive on offense. The only the only team in the conference that had fewer 20-yard plays was New Mexico, uh, which we'll talk more about uh, later on in the summer. Uh, they also had the second most 20-yard plays allowed on defense. So, like, I, I get what you're saying, but I think the truth is actually a lot more nuanced than that. But but when you sort of turn the page looking forward to 2022, you know, now all of a sudden you're looking at a roster that has brought in, uh, you know, any number of, of new, you know, recruits from the transfer portal, from another very strong recruiting class. 
you know, according to Bill Connolly and his returning production metric, you know, this is a team that is returning 76% of what it accomplished last year. So despite the fact that they're working with a new offensive coordinator and a new defensive coordinator, Nick Holes and Keith Hayward on both sides of the ball, like really the excuses are fewer and farther between as they're looking for a breakthrough, but the, you know, at, at least from my perspective, and we'll get more the, into this as we get into talking about each of these position groups, like there's a, there's a lot of peril in the path forward and it could break in a number of different ways. There are. And like just one last thing last year, quarterback play was all over the place due to not, and not necessarily playing bad. They weren't great, but injuries, Brumfield got hurt, Cam Frill, and he played the bulk of the game. Justin Rogers will get to transferred, but they had so many guys who got in and out for injuries that it was hard to build a consistent type of, of offense. Cause you know, if your quarterback's changing every couple of games, I know Frill pretty Frill was a starter for their two wins at New Mexico and Hawaii. They're only two wins all year. He could be starting, but that was, we, I remember we joked during the half of it last year, half the games when they're playing where, they came in versus San Diego State when Rodgers came in and played pretty good in that second half, and then next week was Air Force, he fell flat. That's kind of how it was for some of these games. They came, guys came in off the bench where they like, well, the team doesn't really know them. He's got the adrenaline going, and they just want to basically go out and make plays. I don't know. Maybe a game or two different if they had consistent quarterback play, but now they're still at the middle of camp or the midst of a – not middle, but start of the camp, like quarterback competition with Cam Frill, Brumfield, and a Tennessee uh, transfer – who is uh, Harrison Bailey coming in. So, mm. and Friel nearly transferred or was no, sorry, Brunfield basically put his name to portal for a week and then came back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually you're thinking of Brumfield who went to the transfer portal. Is that what I said? Did I said Brumfield. You said Friel, I believe. Oh, pa- apologies. Sorry. I was staring at Cam Friel. Sorry, Brumfield. My mistake. You're correct on that. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think the quarterback situation is sort of a microcosm and exactly what I'm talking about with regards to there being so many possibilities mm-hmm. um, because, you know, this is not totally dissimilar from the exact same question that I feel like we talked about at this time last year, um, you know, between Rogers and, and Brumfield. And then all of a sudden there was Tate Martell in there for a second. Yeah. Um, but so I mean, it's really difficult to figure out how to parse this particular situation just because everybody offered something a little bit different over the last couple of years. Like case in point, you know, we talked about, you mentioned Friel. He was the freshman of the year in the conference last year. Yeah, he played and quite well. He did, set, he did set a program record for a completion rate by a true freshman, 62.4%. His biggest problem was that he made way too many backbreaking mistakes from week to week. You know, he had a 4.9 interception rate that was way too high to offset what was a pretty reasonable yards per attempt average, 7.1. And, you know, the six touchdowns that he did have against the 11 total interceptions. But then you remember, like, during the during the course of the season, he wasn't the first person that they turned to. Nope. That was actually Brumfeld when Rodgers was ineffective against in the opener against Eastern Washington. Brumfeld was the one who brought them back. You know, he, I believe, got the start against Arizona State, and then you know, injuries sort of cut into a season from there. Back injury, yeah. So, so, but, you know, he flashed as a runner, and he made a couple of nice throws against, you know, uh, a pretty decent Sun Devil defense. But, you know, does having entered the transfer portal for that brief time, does that hurt his chances to claim the quarterback one job? And then you have Bailey, who, you know, he didn't play at all last year as, as Tennessee really took off with uh, with Hendon Hooker at quarterback. 
but he didn't you know appear in seven games during his time with the volunteers he didn't make three starts at the end of 2020 and it wasn't like those starts were gimmies either he played against two ranked teams down the stretch that year florida and texas a&m you know performed pretty well so like you know this is one of the major questions that I think could determine a lot across the Mountain West. So, like, if the choice was yours to make, who would you start? Oh, man. It's – I don't know because they also have a true freshman looking at as well. It's always funny when you hear Coach speak. Coach Roy is like, this is the most best, bestest ever – use your adjective to insert the most awesome quarterback room ever. I'm like, dude, you're at UNLV. Get over yourself. You're trying mm-hmm. to bring people up. He's like, we got competition and we got competitive quarterback room. I guess here's the direct quote. I'm making it correct here. We've got a competitive. We've got as competitive as a quarterback room as I've seen in a long time. That doesn't mean good. That just means they're probably about the same. You're trying to figure out who's it going to be. And so I know that he also likes Jaded Maeva, I believe, from Liberty High School. I believe that's a local the freshman, right? Yeah, freshman. I probably, because it looked like during. I was reading up a little bit, a few things when I said the transfer portal for half a second. I looked like the guy from Tennessee, like entrenches backup, but I, I would got to say the guy who played last year, they bring the guy from Tennessee. If you're oh, he went to Tennessee, he played a couple games. He's power five guy. It's like, but yeah, he transferred for a reason and no offense to rebels, but you transfer to UNLV. It's not like he's transferring to a program. That's higher aspirations at this point in the, in the school's trajectory. Mm-hmm. And he probably thought, I'm going to come in here and start right away. And if, and if he doesn't come in and win the job, which it doesn't seem like it, because after, I don't know if it's coach speak or not, but you think if he's the guy you'd want to showcase, like, hey, he's our guy going into the fall camp. But now it's, I don't know, Matt, probably probably Cam Friel. Give, he started the most last year. He showed the most, I think, because he played. I know Brumfield got injury, but Friel, that Utah, UTSA game, over through injury yards, he had four games with over 200-plus starts. So why not go with him who – He's played enough on this team, and him and Kyle and receiver Williams there, who had 200 something yards. Actually, that's Charles Williams, my bad. Let's look at something else here. Mistakenly, same name. But point being, go with the guy who played, got your two wins, right? Nobody else on this roster has a victory starting quarterback, right? Why not go with him? Well, not, not with the Rebels anyway. Like I said, Bailey Just say, won three hey. games with Tennessee. That's not UNLV, is it, though? No. I would, but, I would lean, I mean, lean Doug thing too. Like, you know, they're all. And it's not like they're all the same kind of quarterback either, which sort of compounds the, the problem. Yeah. It's like, what do you what do you ultimately want your offense to look like? Because the sense that I get is that, you know, Brumfield is the one who offers the most with his legs as, as sort of a dual threat quarterback. Um, you know, Friel has a little bit of mobility, but he's, he's sort of the in-between. And then Bailey is, is more of the drop back, you know, and, and throw down the field type passer. He's the, you know, the least mobile of the three, at least as far as, I've, at least as, far as I understand. Yeah. So what do you, who you know, what, what, ele- what elements of their skill set are you ultimately looking to incorporate in your offense as a whole? Because, you know, if, if you go in there and you make the wrong decision and the first guy is ineffective, then all of a sudden you're going to change a lot of things midstream, which, you know, we've seen nearly every year exactly what that kind of turnover does for the offense as a whole. Um, so it's, it's sort of a, a multifaceted quandary, I guess. Do you think it matters with Charles Williams no longer around at running back of who they want to choose? It, yeah, I do. Because clearly he was the all-time school rusher, one of the best runners in the Mountain West, and he was just their guy who would get 1,000 yards easy, 15, at least 1,000 yards, 1,200 a couple times. But he, 
with him not being there, it, because, okay, do you want a quarterback with a new running back back there? Do you want a quarterback who do the read option or a guy who designed runs or scrambles more? Like, do you want the scrambler to be out there without the running game as much? Or do you want the guy who's just a drop back guy where you know you're going to hand the ball off to your, whoever the running back is going to be we'll get to? I, that does make a difference. But then they have one of the better receivers in the conference as well. And Kyle Williams out there who's had, who had what, four or five, uh, looking here, four games, 100 plus yards last year. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what they want because the offense, with these quarter, you're right, with these quarterbacks so different, what's going to show up on this team? Because if you bring the scrambler in, are they going to do more? Not, I don't want to say scramblers are a bad thing, but more running opportunities with him. And then you're right, it's going to change your offensive line. It's going to change your route running. If you, if he gets hurt or they, it's the wrong guy, like you mentioned, possibility, you never know. Go back to a typical drop, drop back type of guy where you're what type, what are you doing in practice right now to with each quarterback? Because if they're that different and what there's some of their uh, different skill sets could be, that can make things uh, extra work for the positions I mentioned. Yeah. And, and there, and you know, with regards to the running game in particular, you know, it's, there's a difference between having options, right? Which I think if you look at the roster, there are, you know, I would say five guys who could reasonably contribute, but there's a difference between that and having options that you trust. And when you look at what Arroyo has done with his running game over the last two seasons, you know, you see that, you know, in 2020, Charles Williams had 116 carries. Mm-hmm. No other running back on the roster had more than nine carries the entire year. He ran year. the ball a lot. Yeah. And, and granted, they only played six games, but, you know, Courtney Reese, the, the, the person in question, nine carries in six games that year. And that was mostly true in 2021 as well, where, where Williams had 254 carries. So over 21 attempts per game. And the next leading guy had 14. Again, that was Courtney Reese. You know, so between him and, and Chad Magger, who had 13 carries, like, you know, both of those guys have played sparingly over the last few years. And, and Magger in particular, I thought flashed a little something way back in 2019 when he was sort of you know, that I would say the primary backup to, to Williams when he had 69 carries averaged over five yards per carry, five yards per carry scored a touchdown. He, he looked pretty good with more of a, uh, a workload. I think he averaged about eight carries per game that year, but then he basically hasn't seen the field at all over the last two seasons. And so well, you, know, you go back, you, so you go back to the depth chart that they put together after spring ball back in late April. And by the way, Shout out to whoever put that together because UNLV was the only team to put a depth chart out there. But, you know, those two guys were listed atop the depth chart in the spring. And I sort of have a lot of reservations about whether either of those guys is the answer. And if that's the case, you know, you're looking at, you know, two, maybe three new faces stepping into roles that don't necessarily have a lot of on-field experience between them. Well, they don't. The past three years, Williams was top four in the Mountain West in total carries each year. He was number two in 2019, number one in 2020, and then last year he was uh, or second, excuse me, top two. So they weren't giving – it's hard to know, okay, you're a backup, but when you get five carries a game at most, if you're lucky, you know what I mean? Like, well, it's it's hard to know. And honestly, that's a coaching theme because you have a good guy, you give him the ball. It's an area where it's a, a big unknown – because it's been the one position where they've actually been above average within the conference. One of the top, what, top four running backs, essentially he's been right around that second team all conference type of caliber player on a team. That's not very good. And 
And with a team that's not very good where they are losing all these games, you would think they'd throw more because they're behind. They still stuck with the running game. So I still think they're going to lean toward that, but there's no way you're going to give a brand new guy starting, whoever it is, 20 carries a game. There's no chance you're going to do that because you're stupid. Or that guy's freaking amazing, which I'm leaning toward more of the middle ground clearly, but you're not going to bring in a brand new starter. Guys had a few carries and be what Charles Williams was, or at least give him the workload he was getting. That's just uh, not smart. They need to make, they need to slowly kind of figure out who it is and maybe eventually be that guy, but I doubt they're going to, there's not, there's nobody. Here's my main point. Nobody's going to have 200 plus carries in this offense. Nobody. Well, what's interesting though, is if, if they do find someone who gets close to that, you know, most of the running backs on the roster are pretty big for running backs. I didn't realize that until I was just sort of looking over the roster right now. You know, Maggiers is 6'2 and, and 215. And, you know, at least two of, of the three guys I sort of alluded to a minute ago, you know, Aiden Robbins, who transferred in from Louisville, and Javon Wilson, who transferred in a year ago from Oregon. You know, Robbins is 6'3 and 230 pounds. Oh boy. Wilson is 6'2 and 210. So, you know, that, that's like a that's like a handful of Brandon Jacobs is there almost, right? And then guy, they yeah. also, yeah, and then they also brought in Jordan Young Humphrey, who, you know, was a an all-pioneer league guy at Stetson back in the spring. Um, and he's sort of a, I mean, he's not nearly as tall. He's only five foot nine, but he's sort of got that bowling ball physique where he's, you know, five foot nine, but he's 205 pounds as well. So, you know, all of a sudden you're looking at a group that, you know, if, the offense does decide that they want to be more reliant on the pass and they, and they have confidence in a quarterback that can do that, you know, then they might have a staple of running backs on their hands where if they can play with a lead, you know, they have two or three guys to your point that they can use to salt away games late where they don't necessarily need one guy to bring a hammer because they might have two or three guys who could do it between the tackles. Hold on a second. You're assuming they're going to be an opportunity to salt games away. As you said, that's not happening. I'm just, I'm just saying like, <laughs> if, thing, if things break the way that I'm sure that they are hoping that it does, you know, that I think I is the you. scenario you're looking at. You're like, you're, you're looking for, you know, a, a handful of guys who can slam the door basically. So it's a basically coin flip. If they're going to play both guys in the opener in the first couple of games, I'm assuming there's no, we don't know who the starters technically going to be. They're a couple days into fall camp. They had their first pad of practice, I believe, over the weekend on Friday. They lucky for them, they start with Idaho State, which will be a should be a, a should be a fairly convincing win, or at least a easy victory before they go to Cal. And they have a week mm-hmm. off as well. So I think the Idaho State game will be a key area for both quarterback and running back to split carries and make some decisions about who's going to be your guy come week week uh, two. The receiving group is what we know the most about with Kyle Williams. There's one of the best in the conference. He led the team in, I think, every almost every single game receiving yards. And it, it's, it's quite amazing, Matt, for him to be that good and have not, – not saying he's not in a great team, which he's not, but to be a guy where you're playing with a different quarterback due to injuries where he had three or four different guys throwing him the ball, and he still had multiple 100-yard games. And not just him, but their leading receiver – typically played well despite the quarterback like when they had um, Steve Jenkins last year led the team in a couple games of receiving yards it is interesting to see that despite their not being great overall they still had guys who were catching the ball quite well 
So that's a positive first offense. So which which goes back to our quarterback situation. What are they going to do for the play calling potentially for different guys? I think it's going to be pretty straightforward. And the only difference could be if they have like a guy who's going to run a bit more. Maybe they mix a couple more designed runs. But I think the offense is going to be pretty set almost of who's out there regardless, except for maybe like a 5% difference. But it is unique where Jenkins had 176 yards for San Diego State. Williams had 117 versus San Jose State, 100 plus yards in multiple games. So that's a good sign for a team that's – it is weird, Matt, right? The team has a well-above-average receiver, uh, a, almost an elite running back, but yet they're not good overall record-wise. Well, there, there are reasons for that we haven't touched upon yet. I know. We haven't got to defense we'll, we'll get yet. To, we'll, get to in a, we'll get to in a few minutes. But it, you know, it is worth noting that Jenkins is now at Southern Utah, though. Now. Well, I know. I know. I just mentioned um, that based off last year of what they but, had. But I would agree that like, if Kyle Williams is healthy, and, it, and it's important to note that he did miss a couple of games last year because of injury. Correct. You know, When he's healthy, though, he's as good as any other pass catcher in the conference. Mm-hmm. And you, he's out there, but, but the difference between last year and this year is like, the more I dig into this group, the potential pass catchers, the more intrigued I am by a lot of the new faces. Like who? And so I just want to run through them, run through some of the guys that I'm, I'm looking forward to because, you know, Williams is, is definitely going to have, uh, you know, probably the wide receiver one role and Zyle Griffin, who had 11 catches, 223 yards and a couple of scores is probably going to be part of that rotation too. But, you know, I would imagine that a lot of new faces are likely to lead the way otherwise. So, so for example, Seneca McKee, you know, and, and it's he's sort of an example. And there's a couple more that we'll touch upon in a little bit of how UNLV has really gone deep into finding guys who could potentially contribute. Because McKee spent last year in Division II at Erskine's College in, in South Carolina. But did you, do you do you know what his stat line was there last Not, year? No, let people let people know. 96 catches, solid 1133 yards, and seven touchdowns. That's very respectable. That's really good. Yeah. And, and, you know, he's a guy who could probably, he could probably play inside or outside. You know, he's so, and like I said, one example of, of, of the Rebels really sort of combing through, you know, every front to try and find key contributors. Same thing with a guy like Ricky White who, you know, didn't see action last year for Michigan State, but he was a three-star recruit for the Spartans a couple of years ago. Um, and when he, I think he had a handful of catches back in 2020. And if, if memory serves, I think he averaged something like 20 yards per catch. So clearly Deep you know, there's something there. And, and then, you know, the guy I think is, I am probably most interested in, Jeffrey Weimer. Uh, you know, 6'2", 215 pounds from the City College of San Francisco, who, if you recall from our Colorado State preview, I mentioned DeAndre Greeley was also from the City College of San Francisco. So just to run that back real quick, that team was the JUCO State champion here in California last year. Not an easy thing to do. You know, it was a team that, if, if, if I remember correctly, I think they sent 17 different players to different Division I programs, uh, including UNLV. But Weimer's stat line was just as impressive as anybody. 75 catches, 1,253 yards, and 17 touchdowns. And so, you know, when, when I looked at that depth chart that was back out in April and I saw his name out there as, as a guy who was lined up as a starter alongside Kyle Williams, I sort of sat up and took notice because you know, he should. was getting that nod again, you know, over guys who had been part of the program for a year or two now, guys like, you know, Zyle Griffin, 
you know, uh, D'Amico, Nathan the second, other guys like that. And so I'm very interested in what that group can accomplish if they can make the right decision at quarterback, because I think if the, if they can, then all of a sudden, and, and I haven't even talked about the tight ends yet. You know, I look at a guy like, you know, Kaleo Belongay only had one catch last year, but you know, he's a guy who could be a very big target over the middle of the field. He's six foot six and 260 pounds. You know, that's a, that's a security blanket that could be as good as anybody in the conference. You know, even if he doesn't generate a ton of big plays, that's why you've got potentially three or four guys on the outside to do that instead. Yeah. That's but it an, all comes back to that quarterback situation. And also are they going to be a pat more of a pass first type of team with a new running back, very inexperienced. I guess a lot of it's an experience overall besides Kyle Williams. Like you mentioned, Michigan state transfer guys coming in from Juco tight end has one catch last year. They're fairly inexperienced, even though if Brumfield start or Brumfield Friel or maybe it's the Tennessee guy coming in transfers, their offense is going to be fairly inexperienced. But I do think maybe I don't the way they've been running the ball using Williams the past couple of years, maybe they should be throwing the ball first because they have the receiver. Williams could go up against anybody. And if they're if they're, I know those guys are inexperienced, like didn't just their level of competition is different from JUCO, not playing in the Big Ten of Michigan State coming over. There's going to be, a, say it again, open competition like the week one or week zero when they play Idaho State. There's chance for it to be well above average. But again, you're right. Quarterback has to be the same guy to, as much as possible. Last year's kind of unlike with injuries. That's the I, that's injury luck's the thing, or luck or unluck, however to put it. If they stick with the one guy, this unit is going to be, I think, pretty good. And then if the running game's out there, they have, they have enough guys to throw the ball. I think that's what their plan should be and just take the running back as a committee approach. But I think they have talent, or at least they do have proven talent in Williams, but potential talent in other guys to make this unit be, uh, well, one of the uh, – I'm trying to put it – at least average in a conference with an above – with at least one elite receiver, with the other guys hopefully at least average at worst. Yeah, and but, you know, on, but on top of all that, like, you know, obviously the quarterback situation is going to get – a lot of the headlines one way or another always and you you know the excitement among the new you know pass catchers is going to be something to watch too but the offensive line has to be better too always and 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 i say that for for any number of reasons so you can lay out Mm -hmm. very quickly Mm -hmm. line yards per carry which is the the thing i talk about in all these team previews they were 122nd nationally doesn't seem good uh opportunity rate 113th so that means they you know for as as good as charles williams was they weren't getting him to the second level nearly often enough power success rate so short yardage situations 112th overall um you know 58.8 percent so two out of every five times they were getting shut down in short yardage situations um you know overall stuff rate allowed 105th so one out of every five plays they were getting stopped at or behind the line of scrimmage and then they also most critically to this entire conversation, gave up a sack rate of 10.9%, oh. 124th nationally. All of that has to get better. To put that, and, and if you're numbers. looking for sort of, and you're, and if you're looking for short of a shorthand for what I'm sort of envisioning, everybody's got to get on Leaf Beltano's level. Yeah, because you know, among the the returning Rebels offensive linemen. You know, he, you know, and, and, you know, your mileage may vary on pro football focus grades, 
but he had a grade of 73.4 overall. And that was the best among on you know, all of the returners among this unit. There were there were a couple of others who were, you know, relatively middle of the pack and you know, solid contributors. And I'm thinking primarily of like, you know, Amani Trig Wright was pretty solid. Um, but you know, there are other guys in this unit that just they have to get better. And I think, you know, case in point, Tiger Shanks, who uh, I believe he was the starter all year long at left tackle last year. Um, but a right tackle, excuse me, started all but one game at right tackle. And he was the worst graded tackle in the entire conference. Yikes. So, you know, so there are some guys who have definitely showed a lot of promise and have been sort of examples of what, you know, Marcus Royal and company have been able to do as far as developing prospects. You know, I think, you know, Kyle Williams is the best example of that real winning freshman of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Feltonu, I think, is another example of that. But it, that hasn't been universal. And so some of the guys that they're counting on or they're, they're going to continue to count upon, you know, they just, they have to get better. And at the same time, they have to hope that some of the other transfer portal arrivals from, for, for this unit, you know, are able to stick at least as depth pieces as well. You know, they brought in DJ Stuckey from Cal Poly, Kobe Bryant with C from SMU. And I think maybe most interestingly, Preston Nichols, who uh, coincidentally was, I believe he was a teammate of Davion McDaniel, who also transferred from Charleston Southern to UNLV. And if you look at overall PFF grades, Nichols had an 86.7 grade overall. That would have been the third best figure in the Mountain West last year. And it wasn't like it was a, a, a circumstance of like a huge run pass blocking split either. Like he was very good last year at the FCS level. And if you can be anywhere near that good in the Mountain West, you know, that's the kind of thing that could be a game changer for this entire offense because they, they need more game changers up front. They do because it all goes back to with new running back, obviously all these guys coming in from Cal Poly or not Cal, yeah, Cal Poly, Charleston Southern. But it's going to come back to – I. we see the quarterback's most important thing, but I think the offensive line in this situation is with how bad it was last year, almost almost three and a half sacks per game. We look at that type of number, including what you mentioned before, for sack rate to 10%, which is, hey, yikes. New guys coming in. It is, it's still weird that they were able to run as well as they did with Charles Williams while not being a good offensive line. And throwing to – I know Williams only had 600, what, 650 yards last year, nothing amazing, or just over 600 yards. But – that unit can take the next step. They can gel. Because, yes, if the guy's at Cal Poly, but he played 40 games, I think 40, 41 games at Cal Poly. So, and that's a pretty good program, too. Like, there are no slouch playing at FCS level. So, they bring these guys in. And this is, I think this is the most important position of offense for them to be better because that comes together and they play well. And they even think of this, maybe if they increase their sack rate or sacks per game from like LSU's per game, if they go from 3.4 to 3, half a sack, of, like a half a sack a game is six fewer per game set being sacked. That that could go a long way. If you have six more chances to make a passing play and they lost all those games by one eight points or less one possession, that could lead to something they need. They clearly can't be worth my because that's not going to happen. That's terrible. But they got to they got to make some step forward. Be top 100 in all those categories. That would go an extremely long way to help everybody out with this. A new running back, 
Um, new kind, kind of new receivers after Kyle Williams, a transfer guys coming in, depending who's the quarterback. If they could keep him upright and just be a little bit better in top 100 in those categories, heck, be 99th. That's almost 15 to 20 spots better than everything else they've been. That might be enough to get them an extra win or two. Yeah, I mean, you know, theoretically, you know, the only you know, full-time contributor that they really have to replace from last year is Julio Garcia. And that's exactly where Nichols would probably slot in at, at left guard. But, you know, at the same time, you know, they, they bring back, well, uh, you know, they bring back McDaniel, Gautanu, Trig Wright, Shanks. That's what, four starters right there? I think so, yeah. As a group, they have to be better. Like qu- quarterback gets the attention, offensive line could sink it. If they if they just don't take a step forward, yeah, yeah. There's no way to put around if this unit's somehow worse than last year. This is gonna be like maybe a one win team potentially. Yeah. So, all right, ready to go defense, which is the uh, real um, area that needs to be better to make them somewhat good. <laughs> so, so you know how I mentioned that, like, depending on how you look at things, you know, they were either very bad or surprisingly good. Nothing on defense. That was true on this side of the ball, actually. Ooh. So, like, you know how? I, so, you may remember at the very beginning, I mentioned like how they were dead last in terms of just yards per play, right? Yeah, not good. On the whole, though, by a lot of those more advanced measures I just mentioned for the offensive line being, you know, needing to be better, they were actually well above average by nearly all of those same metrics. You know, line yards per carry, they were 38th nationally. Uh, you know, opportunity rate, 27th overall. Power success rate, 23rd. Stuff rate, you know, 20.9%, 22nd overall. And they were right around the national average with a 6.7% sack rate, too. That was 63rd among FBS teams. So they did a lot of things well. It was, you know, part of the problem was they gave up way too many big plays last year, which we'll talk more about that in a minute. The other problem, which I'm less certain about, is that it was very star-driven, too. And I say that thinking particularly about Jacoby Whitman, who moved from defensive end to linebacker and was still making everybody's lives miserable week after week. And then he transferred to Michigan State. Yeah. And I'm thinking about Brennan Scott, who, you know, one of my one of my biggest crushes anywhere in the Mountain West. I'll just put that out there. Yeah. You know, he had, you know, he came on strong, especially in the second half of the year, but he finished the entire season with uh, 10 TFLs. The only freshman in the conference, by the way, to get to double-digit TFLs, four sacks. But it just came out recently that he suffered a pretty serious injury in spring ball. And now people are thinking that he might not play at all this year. It's been a surprise because we wrote an article about, hey, breakout guys for these teams. And then um, Steve Cofield of uh, Las Vegas, UNLV 11-6, or Vegas 11-6, I think it is or whatever, sorry, radio station mm-hmm. there. But he's like, uh, he's heard and not playing. We're like, what? Teams need to tell us this stuff. That'd be nice. But it came out, I think, August 2nd, so a few days after camp was going, that uh, he, of course, of course, Coach Royo says, uh, all he says is that he's out right now. So I, depending on how the teams do it, because some teams are different. Like when I do stuff for University of Utah, they only mention a status if they're out for the year. And so Coach Royo says, unfortunately, he's out right now. His return to play is yet to be determined but a pretty serious injury that ultimately, unfortunately occurred for us. He's going to be missed, but he's still a big morale piece of this team. That sounds to me he's likely out for the season. So, I mean, your priority number one is, okay, how do you create havoc? 
because because at least among the returning contributors, really only Adam Plant is the, is the one who did any serious damage last year. He had 46 tackles, seven TFLs, three and a half sacks. Other than that, nothing. question marks everywhere. Yeah. Which, which is not to say that there aren't guys who have been, you know, solid contributors. And I think, you know, case in point, Eliel Ahimara didn't necessarily light up the stat sheet, but, you know, in terms of pro football focus grades, he was a pretty decent, you know, interior defender, 27 tackles, four TFLs. But then beyond that, you know, you've got holdovers who have really only played in part-time roles. You have guys like Waisali Moavesi, Tavis Malikius, Naki Pahina, and a handful of transfers, you know, like Isaiah Sales came in from Missouri State, Ben Key, uh, probably going to be a nose guard type guy from Missouri, Jordan Eubanks, who's probably going to play off the edge. You know, I just mentioned like six guys. They're going to need at least every, probably two or three of them to hit if they don't want to just get pushed around up front. Yeah, I, man, I don't know. This is, this is going to be a tough blow for them because up front with losing, maybe transferring and injuries to Scott. It's there's got, here's the thing. Well, it's, it's going to be a little positive. There's going to be somebody that steps up and does something. Maybe plant comes in and has a break, a breakout season, but there's got to be, I'm looking at their numbers last year. Like there's even with plant and uh, Whitman, they weren't amazingly great. Those two guys had 10 other, what, 14 sacks last year. They had or 22 sacks, half mm-hmm. their sacks. There's got to be somebody because you would think that's the logical stuff. Somebody's going to have to make plays. It's a lot of who's who. We don't know who is going to be, but also you, all these transfers, that makes it so hard for us to predict, like how good get these guys going to be. We already mentioned how many transfers from the offensive line come in. A receiver, the defense now, it's, there's got to be somebody to do it. I just, I hate playing the game like, oh, who, who is it going to be? I don't know, but historically, nobody's really stepped up for the most part for UNLV defense. They had some hope with Scott coming in, but or not coming in, but repeating last year potentially. I just don't know who's gonna be. And I have no confidence that the front's gonna provide much resistance against anybody. Well, and again, it just comes down to sifting through a ton of options. And and I didn't even mention two of the sort of I guess we might say former top prospects. You know, there's you know, like LaShawn Bell, for example, I think was a high three-star guy in in Marcus Royal's first recruiting class, if I'm not mistaken. You know, in the, the spring depth chart, he was listed as, you know, the third guy from the rush position behind Plant Jr. in, in sales. But, you know, now that Scott is out for a, probably a significant amount of time, you know, he could see a lot more reps and become that much more important as a result. You know, another guy in that same vein is a guy like Nick Demetrius, who, you know, when we did our, our preseason exercise freshman of the year two years ago, uh, you know, he was my pick to be a freshman of the year. Uh, he ended up redshirting last year, but you know he was—he's listed as a backup uh, at one of the defensive tackle positions. But he's another guy who might be in line for for more. It might just end up being a team effort, or maybe they don't have one all-conference guy stepping up and making waves. But they have three or four guys stepping up and and being sort of key contributors in that in that sense. Uh, I'm just um, not hopeful. That's unfortunate to say, but I'm not hopeful this unit, the front seven will be anything special. Maybe hopefully they prove me wrong, but the losses, the trends of what they've typically done, new defensive coordinators we mentioned way earlier on the show. I'm just, there's not much. I, it's hard for me to see positive where this unit can be really good 
or not even really good, but have a breakout player who gets like seven sacks. I that, and that's a lot to ask, I think. I mean, if you're looking for upside, though, the linebackers can be pretty good. Potentially, maybe. I don't know. I'm just uh... and, well, and, and I say that because you know Austin Ajiaki is another one of those guys who was probably underappreciated last year. You know, I think he he had his season cut short by injury. He only played in eight games, I believe. Almost ten but, tackles a game, though. Yeah, but I was going to say, if he qualified, he would have finished fourth in the Mountain West in averaging nine and a quarter tackles per game, nine point two five. And then, you know, opposite him, Kyle Beaudry ended up getting elevated into the lineup. I'm pretty sure it was in his stead, if memory serves. Um, and, you know, Beaudry had 34 tackles in the last four games of the year, all of which he started. So, you know, all of a sudden you're looking at, you know, two guys who could be pretty efficient tackling machines in the same way that you know, we're used to talking about with, like, for example, a Kyle Harmon at San Jose State. But the trick is like the defensive line is going to have to do enough so that they aren't just getting caught up in, in other people's messes. The other trick is too, is like, there isn't a lot of depth behind them either. Yeah, that's, but also those guys, you mentioned they had one sack between the two of them mm-hmm. and linebackers have to have sacks. Like I know Windman Windmond was there getting sacks and Scott was there. They tend to have sacks as we mentioned. If that, here's the thing that's positive about those two guys and everybody else coming in. That unit has proven to make some because Kyle, you mentioned Deidre had one and a half sacks last year. That unit does mm-hmm. make some plays. So somebody's gonna come in and make a play. It's just kind of who's it gonna be. And see, the thing is, had they had if Woodman stayed, not that he would, and Scott was healthy, the unit and depth would help these other guys get down much better. So hopefully, the scheme they've been running with those guys. I know it's more possibly more talent than scheme, but they've the defense has shown to be able to make plays to get to the quarterback. So hopefully, maybe. It, like Kyle Beecher comes in and gets six, TF, six sacks, five sacks or something because the scheme they've been doing, assuming it's somewhat similar, because I believe that they lost their DC kind of late in the process, if I recall. And then when the hiring they were made, but that area is a field of play that units, you, the reason you, I think the reason you may mention look out for them, there's potential there is that they've always had solid linebackers, UNLV, the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. And that goes to talent, scheme, recruiting. And this will be the one area defense if it's going to be – well, I know we got Noel Williams in secondary to talk about, but this unit has a potential to do what it did last year close to it to help the defense not be as bad and maybe overcompensate a little bit for the defensive line that's still trying to find its place. Well, and, and speaking of the secondary, when I, when I mentioned that you know the defense has a lot to sort of sort out, you know, this unit in particular was what I was thinking about because, you know, they, they gave up 46 20-yard pass plays last year, which was, you know, 10th in the conference uh, among all defenses. But more to the point, like, you know, Williams is good. He's a keeper. He's probably the best cornerback anywhere in the conference right now. You know, he could, and, and I say that because, he, you know, he, had four, he only had four pass breakups, only one interception. But... You know, pro football focus again. His coverage grade, eighty point six, was number one in the in the Mountain West among returning quarterbacks. So they got at least one spot locked down. But the problem is, as a unit last year, they were dead last in the Mountain West with a sixty nine point seven percent completion rate allowed. Dead last with eight point three yards per attempt allowed, and dead last with twenty six passing touchdowns allowed. All of those have to get better, and they're counting on a lot of new people to try and make that happen. 
because you know Williams again another example of how they've had a really surprisingly strong record of, of, of development over the last couple of years, and I think you could make a case that you know guys like Ricky Johnson, Cameron Oliver are probably along that same path. You know both of those guys saw a lot of playing time last year as underclassmen, and both you know had their ups and downs, but definitely flashed potential here and there. And I think, you know, if you're a Rebels fan, you probably remember that heads-up interception that Johnson in particular had against San Diego State when they were really when they were challenging the Aztecs in that game. But elsewhere, you know, you're looking at a, you know, a guy, you're looking at contributors like you know, Dry Williams, who if they're moving to a 425, I think they I think he's probably going to be the likely answer at the nickelback position. He hasn't played in two years. Uh-oh. Because he, he transferred from uh, from Arkansas Monticello, but then sat out both 2020 and 2021. But, you know, if, if he's a strong enough performer in, in spring and fall camp that he's listed as a starter at cornerback position opposite, opposite Noel Williams, then I think you have to think there might be something there. But, you know, they're counting on him, you know, coming out strong out the gate. Same thing with an entirely new safety tandem, too, because Bryce Jackson is gone. You know, Philip Hill is gone. And they're starting two new guys, Tyson Player and Jonathan Baldwin, who, you know, between the two of them, Player only, Player started three games last year, two at free safety, one at strong safety. And, you know, Baldwin was more of sort of a a depth piece, a role player. But both of those guys are stepping up and they're going to be counted upon to try and prove a lot of those overall numbers. And it's just, it's a lot to ask. Yeah, because you mentioned like their last incompletion percentage allowed. Yards per attempt last, they were near the bottom interception. It's only nine, and the worst in the conference was six. They were thrown upon reasonably. Well, I think the most, yeah, uh, or they for yards near the uh, near the bottom in yards per per game. And so, that's an area where teams will throw it will against them. Yeah, if no Williams could lock down a guy, okay, that'll help quite a bit, hopefully. And then, but then again, you got the it all bad like the whole defense. It's all obviously one huge unit, but. If Williams can do his thing, if they can improve a little bit, but it's going to be the guys up front, they need to provide pressure so you're not having your quarterbacks guard a guy in the, in the field on the, off the snap for four or five seconds and the offensive line can just hold off you know, these pass rush of any kind. So even if Williams is that great, guys will eventually get open, even if you're that good. And so this unit does need to step up, but it's going to, I think more importantly, to help them be better, you got to have some sort of pressure. Dude, get your hands up. You're 6'8", 6'9", offense, defense, or defensive line linebacker. Get a hand up, jump, do something. But the as, as for the actual talent, it's, I don't know, man. Guys don't play in a couple years, like you mentioned. They do return some good talent, but they just, all UNLV needs to do, They we'll get to the schedule part, but just improve a little bit everywhere, and they'll all add up. I know it's cliche and dumb to say, but if they get another interception or two, or if Noah Williams gets another sack, or not sack, but another INT, or goes to seven pass breakups from three or four he had last year. It's just going to take a little stuff, but but when they play, I guess being in the West helps a little bit outside of playing, well, maybe not, because Fresno's going to throw the ball, Hawaii's going to throw the ball, San Jose State's going to throw the ball, they play Notre Dame this year, stuff like that. It's going to be tricky, but the unit itself, it's, I hate to say, it's dumb to say, well, just don't be worse than last year, but they're pretty bad last year, too. They need to be at some point with a Royce, a Royce, excuse me, Coach Royce, third year. There needs to be some improvement. I know 2020 was weird just because played a handful of games and practice was different and everything. So it's like year two and a half, essentially. But they got to show some improvement. I know every here's that you can't, I'm not saying he's an excuse type of guy, but you can't use an excuse for transfer guys. But he's got as many transfers that come in that leave. 
it's his job now to coach his secondary and the whole defense up. I know I'm kind of doing big picture here, but he's got to find guys and try to make the secondary they have. The weird thing, not the weird thing, but the thing about this team on defense, it's positive a bit. They have just a couple enough guys to be good. And if those couple of guys can show the most improvement, it can shut down or make, make noise in their area. The other guys are going to have to step up and make a play because if you take away 15% of the field, whatever it may be, if you're an old Williams, you're taking away that part of it or a linebacker here, taking away part of it. Cause he can get the QB or has to have like a, a guy and a half, like a chip off the line or maybe a double team. Occasionally they're going to need their good guys to play extremely well. And to give these other guys opportunity opportunities. And these guys are secondary. They can jump on passes, need to make plays and they'll have chances to do that because people are going to want to throw you in a visa. They'll have, if these guys want playing time, want balls coming their way, they're coming your way, guys. These guys will have plenty of chances to make their own plays and show yeah. if they're good or maybe not good because they were thrown upon. Let me get it right here. Per game, for uh, only well, not as many as I thought it was. They're only thrown against almost 28 times a game, but they're giving up like eight and a half yards per attempt. They're giving up almost 10 yards per pass completion, Matt. That's not good. You are correct. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying. I could just say they're not very good, but my point. I don't know. It's just. I don't want to ramble, but I'm just saying. Like you got, you got to, you got enough good guys to, to help make the defense possibly be a little bit better. And mm-hmm. again, these other guys will have chances to make their own plays. So if Williams, whoever, could stuff their guy, fine. They'll throw somebody else. So oh, that's all I got for defense. It, it's a. For the defense to improve even a little bit, will go a long way, I think. Because if you make that an incremental improvement, they, it, like I said, it'll make a, a big difference. Because if they were to do one yard less per play, per pass attempt, and they throw the ball thirty something times, that's thirty more yards coming your way on defense. If it's one less yard per, and, and if they do one less yard per pass attempt, that's still basically that's actually uh, almost middle of the pack. Middle of the pack was seven point four for Air Force, and Hawaii. So if they can get somewhere in there at yards per attempt allowed and they're still being thrown against 28 to 30 times, 30 yards is three first downs. Just saying a little bit here and there. And that's an improvement should be able to be done because that's 8.3 is a lot. I'm just using that one number, but just improve a little bit. That's a, it's like the 10% thing. Just improve a little bit here or there. And we want UNLV to be good because how great it would be if we just stayed them. They're fighting for a bowl game or they're fighting for a, the rival playing these certain teams playing good competition and they can shut somebody down here and there. I want exciting mm-hmm. people to be at these games and not only just to have like eight people inside. Yeah. Oh, that's all I got. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I got everybody on there, but yeah, let's, let's move this. What do I got for special teams? Who's going to be kicking these field goals for a man putting the ball? Well, uh, the field goal units should actually be in pretty good shape since Daniel Gutierrez for the moment actually holds UNLV's record now for a career field goal success rate. Yeah, he made 21 to 27 last year. So for the whole career, he has success rate. So that's what, field goal percentage? That's correct. All right. He made every PAT last year. He does kickoff duty as well, obviously. So that's it, part of it too. UNLV, they, okay, offense stalls, get points where you get points. They're not going to be picky. So they need they have a good field goal kicker, Gutierrez. That's awesome. Uh, they are they are replacing their punter though. Evan Silva is not on the team anymore. Apparently, um, do we know what happened? They, and they have a couple of options. They could go back to to Charlton Butt, who was the punter a couple of years ago. They brought in Marshall Nichols from from Mississippi State. So I mean, it, it may not be the most important competition to watch, but 
considering how much I think field position is likely to matter a lot to this team this year, it is something that bears worth watching. And then like they, they didn't really have standouts in the return game last year either. So it's sort of an open question as to whether that's going to be a major factor or not too. Yeah, that's, uh, they just got to, you want to, yeah, field position for them because, that's going to be it's all it's always a big deal. It's easy to get to. Right? Stonehouse blasted seven yard punts for for the Tennessee Titans earlier today. They have all these guys in the West. So if they get uh, if it's a Mississippi State guy, it's field position is going to be key for the mid for any team, but for the Rebels, where here's the thing, guys. Here's a little secret, Matt. Rebels need any help they can get, any yard they can get is a boon for them. That's what I'm getting at here. Exactly. It's the time for the schedule. Let's do it. Oh boy, their schedule is uh it's a football schedule. They start. We've mentioned Idaho State like five times. That's who they open up with. They, they, we've only mentioned them once. We talked about them during the San Diego State podcast. And guess what? The Bengals aren't very good at football. Well, uh, to, yeah. Well, I can give you. I can give you an abbreviated FCS minute because I feel like I, I feel like I mentioned everything worth mentioning about the Bengals the last time we talked about them. Give us a but, half. Uh, <laughs> since that point, you know, Big Sky Media Days did happen. Um, they were picked last. Uh, under new head coach Charlie Ragel. They were tied for 11th among the coaches. Um, you know, we mentioned Tyler Vanderwall last time. He's likely to be the starting quarterback if he can healthy, or if he stays healthy, rather, uh, former Wyoming quarterback. But they are replacing, I'm like, I, I go back and I review, and I'm like, man, they're replacing a lot outside of that because, you know, their, their leading receiver, uh, Jake Connor, is in the NFL now. Um, you know, nobody else on the roster had more than 23 catches and, and two touchdowns last year. Um, you know, they, they're replacing their top running back. They're replacing their two top tacklers. It's uh, it's probably going to be a really long year on Pocatello as they really pick up the pieces. So, you know, as, as much as, you know, a lot, you know, maybe Nevada fans are, are still thinking about how they lost Eastern Washington last year. UNLV should run away with this game. It should not be close at all. Yeah, they should win this easily. Then they get a week off. This is a week zero game. They don't, which is weird. Then they don't play week one, which is kind of odd. Was there a reason why these games got moved? Because it seems like the only reason you go week zero to week one or week two because the game got switched. Do you do you recall anything with that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't really is know it, what goes into those justifications. I mean, I don't mind it. It's just weird. I don't. Have, I don't all. have to like multi-screen on Saturdays every week, so I'm cool yeah, with it. There you go. Then they play at Cal, who Pac-12 Media Day came and went a couple about a week or two ago. At this point, Cal's predicted ninth in the in the Pac-12, only ahead of Arizona State, Arizona, and Colorado. They, despite their defense being allegedly good for Justin Wilcox, zero players chosen on the. Or excuse me, sorry, my bad. One player chosen, Brett Johnson, defense lineman for all Pac-12, and that was second team. So for the Wilcox defense, it's like, well, what do you got there? I don't know because the defense isn't very good. And then I'm looking at the uh, honorable mention. I don't think they have many here. Maybe outside of guys like, uh, oh boy, I'm going to butcher his name, Matt. So you ready for this for linebacker? Are you about Femi Oladeja? Oh, is that how you say his name? Oh, here it has Olahu Femi. Is it just Femi? Okay, Femi? You might be looking at someone else. Oh, I'm at the Pac-12 media. It's Oluwafami Oluwato, who you said Oluwato. 
Oh, okay. I was looking at someone else on the roster. Oh, that's a very similar name. Jeez. I'm like, wait a minute, because <laughs> the last part of his name is Femi. And so I'm like, so they well, had a couple. I, I, was, I was also wondering if you were thinking about Lumagia Hearns, the sophomore cornerback, who was pretty good last year. Actually. I have not gotten there. No, I was going through like the all-conference stuff here, and I was kind of scrolling through. I must have missed him. He did. Oh, there he is. Yeah, he was, uh, looks like honorable mention. But, like, what, you know what the weirdest thing is about Cal? Why did Justin Wilcox turn down the Oregon job? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, if you've been to Berkeley – You'll understand. I like Berkeley. Yeah, but it's Oregon. I like Berkeley though. Do you like to win football games? You go to Oregon. <laughs> I mean, do you? I mean, maybe. I mean, I mean, you could do a lot worse than making three million dollars and living in one of the chillest places in America. Yeah, but wouldn't six in Oregon go way better and farther? <laughs> well, okay, but here, here's the thing. You know how we talked about at the top how UNLV had a lot of bad luck in close games last year. Cal did too, right? That is also true. Of the Golden Bears, they lost by five to Nevada, mm. two to TCU. They lost by a touchdown to Washington and Oregon, both on the road. And then they lost. They they gave Arizona their only one of the year too, and that was mostly because there was a lot of players held out because of COVID related protocols. Um, so in the, in case and they, track, that was that was five losses by seven points or fewer last what, year. Wasn't Cal the USC game that got pushed to uh, championship weekend? Nobody watched. That is correct. Who won that game? USC? I forget. Cal did. Oh, Cal beat. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good for them. Okay. They, they beat, here's, uh, the, here's the thing about here's the thing about Cal, which UNLV is going to have to be wary of in this game. Cal is a pain in. Well, am I allowed to say pain in the ass? Pain you just did. You just did. Go for it. <laughs> uh, I'll just I'll shorthand it. I'll say they are they are a pain to deal with because the defense has typically been pretty good. Like you know, by SP Plus last year they finished fifty second overall on that side of the ball. Mm-hmm. But you know, we've talked about how you know most of the most of the talent on on this team is on that side of the ball. We didn't even mention safety Daniel Scott, mm-hmm. linebacker Jackson Sermon. You, know, you mentioned Brett Johnson, who's back after you're off. Uh, I believe he had a car accident that, that knocked him out for the entire season last year. So, you know, there's enough talent on that side of the ball to really put the brakes on on you know, any improvements that UNLV wants to make. Bigger question for Cal, as always, is will the offense be able to keep up? Because, you know, they too are uh, trying to find a solid answer at quarterback. They brought in Jack Plummer from Purdue. You know, they got a couple of uh, internal candidates, Ty Milliner, Zach Johnson. You know, they, they I believe, are also replacing their top running back from last year. Christopher Brooks is gone. Grab but Damian Moore is still around, and they have a very highly regarded recruit coming in, Jaden Ott. Um, oh, and oh, by the way, they're also replacing... I'm looking at the numbers. They're replacing six of their seven top pass catchers from last year, too. Yeah. The only holdover being Jeremiah Hunter. The so thing, the thing from last year, like, sorry, they returned everybody last year were garbage. Now they return only like eight starters. And they expect them to be better? No way. I'm I'm sort of shrugging my shoulders. I have this as a UNLB win. What? Because because I because I think that UNLV's offense should be able to last Cal's offense. Like if they're if they're gonna be better this year, this is a game the Rebels should win, even if it takes a fist fight to do it. On the road at famed Memorial Stadium, sitting on the fault line, they're gonna beat Cal's. Strawberry, Rangers. Strawberry Hill, and everything. Yes. Okay, I'm going with you as well. They're gonna beat Cal's also on the road. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm this because I looked at FPI. I think it is or the gate. Whatever ESPN uses, they have a million percentages. 
Cal's like pretty heavy favorite in this game. I was looking for the line itself, but couldn't find it. But it's like 80%. Here's the mm-hmm. thing. It would, I think Cal probably should win this game, but returning so few guys, new quarterback, all the pass catchers gone. Defense, the offenses are both abysmal, in my opinion, for both. Neither of these are very great. I think it'll come down to like, if the, you, this would be a good chance for the rebel defense to make some plays against a bad Cal offense. And I would not be surprised if UNLV were win this like 17 to 15 or something like that. It's going to be a low scoring yeah, game. Sort of, sort of like their hated rival won the game last year against this team. Yeah, it's going to be something low scoring. I'm leaning UNLV, but just because I want the Rebels to get a win. So, but mm-hmm. I, this, they're more evenly matched than people will say. So, watch this game when it, t- when it kicks off, probably at 845 local time on Pac 12 Network Plus, which you can't get. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll figure out where the game is. Mean, if playing, you're but. in Vegas, just go to a casino and watch it somewhere. Exactly. There you go. That's how right. you do it. And uh, yeah, so I got them winning 2 0, playing. Then they host North Texas to be in green, which they have been like, they're always a feisty team. This is the, didn't they play North Texas in a bowl game about a, a handful of years ago? Was uh, that was their last bowl game, actually. And it was uh, t- in 2014. Was it January t- 1st, 2014? The Ticket City Bowl or something like that? The Heart of Dallas Bowl. Oh, I was way far off, but not really because they're always different and changing. So North Texas always, they don't, there are a couple of years removed from guys like Graham Harrell being their OC, passing the ball and slinging around a lot, but that's what they're kind of known for, passing the ball quite a bit. And North Texas, they are in, um, hold on, conference updates. Did they change? They're still in Conference USA. That's what I thought. I'm like, are they moving? Because there's a lot of movement. They're moving to the American next year, but right now they're in Conference USA. So they're in Conference USA for one more season. And, oh boy, Conference USA is so bad, right? Yes. It is. What is the Big Sky better than Conference USA? <laughs> I mean, the teams at the top of Conference USA are pretty good. The teams at the bottom are—it's uh, it's a pit of despair down there. We're being kind of saying that they're not very good. Is, is this but, only? But then, they, but then again, that's all. But again, then again, we just talked about Idaho State, and so that's also true of the Big Sky. A uh, good point. They do have some very bad teams there. So when we look at this team, like what what stands out to you? Are they still going to kind of be their passing team they want to be? Like that's what I've typically known them to be for it's not that we study them too often but i'm just like this is a game it's at home playing to me and green who's taking a step back from winning conference titles i just uh, i don't know man like they i don't know what they're well, gonna the, do. The, the fun question about this north texas team is which north texas team are you going to get are you going to get the team that started the year last year what was it one and six uh, let me see. And right. and we're pretty and we're not terribly competitive most weeks. Yeah, or, they started with Northwestern know, State one and zero, then lost to UAB, SMU, Tech, Missouri yeah. Marshall. Olympia. Or, or are you going to get the North Texas team that won its last five games before losing in bowl season? Hey, they also beat UTSA, in, in, including against UTSA. They had they they disrupted UTSA's undefeated season. They did, and then Seth Latrell's a pretty good coach as well. So. They have yeah, I mean, he was he was that close to being fired, and then they turned it around. So yeah, turned it around. So new lease on life, but it it really kind of depends on how the offense comes together because it was sort of all over the map last year, and you know I think their quarterbacks you know, likely to be Austin on um, yeah. was sort of emblematic of that. You know he had 13 touchdowns, only four interceptions. Uh, oh wait, no, that was in 2020 last year. What do you have last year? I'm looking at the. Am I looking at the wrong numbers? He was uh, 
Phil still is not helpful here. Not helpful for me. Nine, nine touchdowns and nine interceptions, 51.2% completion there rate. There yeah. you go. Not great. Yeah. Um, sort of all over the map. You know, he got replaced at times by Jace Reuter. You know, now they have Grant Gunnell in who transferred in from Arizona. Mm-hmm. So, like, that situation's up in the air, but they might have a pretty solid passing game if they can sort of get it all together because most of their major contributors on that front are back. You know, Roger Burns, the number one receiver, had over 800 yards last year. And they've got, you know, three, four other guys who had somewhere between 150 and 300 receiving yards last year as well. So, like, maybe it comes together, but then also, like, they need more star power on defense too. Like, you know, they've got Katie Davis who, you know, if you don't know the name, he's, he might be the best defender anywhere in that conference. Possibly six and a half sacks last year. Pretty good. He might be 100, 121 tackles, 10 and a half TFLs. Like he's, he's a very good player. Also, you know, flirted with the transfer portal, almost left before deciding to come back too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, North Texas though, compared to Idaho state and Cal, strikes me as the kind of team that could exploit you into these potential weaknesses, which is why I have this one as a loss. This could be either blowout for North Texas or UNLV could get a victory. I kind of see it being that type of I'm picking UNLV to start three and because I'm I'm crazy and foolish, I'm guessing. The reason I probably shouldn't take them is because that passing attack and that's an issue for them. But I'm gonna go Rebels win because it's at home. They got a big one after Cal, and I think they could they could hang with North Texas because again they're a Jekyll and Hyde team. Maybe they're the team that played versus UTSA, or maybe the, they're the team that lost to uh, who's a bad team they lost to. Uh, actually, all the teams lost to weren't bad, but Louisiana Tech wasn't great. So let's say it's Louisiana Tech because it's an interesting thing. In those five games they lost, they were double digit underdogs to every one of those games. And two and two were twenty plus. One was a nineteen plus uh, line against them versus Missouri. So mm-hmm. it's not like that schedule was easy when you're playing SMU, UAB, La Tech, Missouri, Marshall, Liberty. Those weren't easy games. So them losing all those games is not a concern. Or maybe, well, it is, but it on the surf, if you look kind of deeper of how good those other teams were compared to North Texas, they probably deserve to lose all those games. The schedule is just a front loaded. But I'm I'm gonna be crazy and just say UNLV will get a win to have them start three and zero for probably the first time in dare I say 45 years. I have no clue the last time they started three and zero. Do you? I have no idea. No idea, but it'd be a, it'd be a sight to be seen at the three and zero, right? Party on the strip mm-hmm. for for Vegas, right? That's right. <laughs> then they go to Utah State for their first conference game. Their next conference set is basically every other game, and they have a Notre Dame game in the mix there, which is later on they play them on the road at South Bend. But they start Utah State on the road, which we'll go listen to our Aggie podcast. But you know, does Logan Bonner will exploit the secondary? Calvin Tyler, who's in our what top was he top twenty five in our top fifty countdown? Calvin Taylor no. Jr.? No? Oh, my mistake. I'm thinking of something else. But they're not going to win, right? Is there anything to add to this team? Because Rebels' defense can't keep pace with this offense, right? No, I doubt it. Are they beating New Mexico at home? Yes. Ooh, question, why? You're not confident. Well, okay, so... <laughs> I, th- I mean, I, I like New Mexico's defense. We're going to talk about the Lobos' defense at some point. Mm-hmm. But I just don't know. I mean, the, the offense, though, isn't going to be dead last again. I just don't know how much improvement there's going to be on that side of the ball. But it, it is probably not enough that UNLV should not be able to outlast them. What do you think? Okay, so then 
Let me ask you this. Are they going to win by double digits, UNLV? I mean, if you're putting me on the spot right now, I'd say probably, but barely. Okay. I thought, that's my thought, too, because this is one of the games where they Lobos have a lot of replacement. I know you like your defense, but quarterback is changing. All sorts of stuff is changing there. But I'm going Rebels win because it's at home, and these teams are relatively even on the front. So this is where the schedule kicks in the high gear. At San Jose State, host Air Force, this schedule is very brutal, like including travel-wise. The next five, at, at San Jose. Home to Air Force at Notre Dame at San Diego State host Fresno then go to Hawaii. I have one win in that stretch. I have zero. Zero. Oh boy. What? Okay, so we go through the games really quick. San Jose State pass attack is kind of obvious why they can't keep up right with Shavon Cordero passing to Isaiah Hamilton and other guys. Yeah, and they they have the, they have the talent up front that I think could make a bad matchup for this Rebels offense. Yeah, the, like Kate Hall, Fajoko, those type of guys. Air Force triple option, run option, obviously Notre Dame. Um, I know they have Marcus Freeman, new head coach. They still have Tommy Reese calling the plays, but if Notre Dame's going to be what a top ten team preseason, there's no way UNLV can keep pace with them. This might be like a forty point victory for the Irish. Yeah, is that probably. Is that, does Notre Dame play anybody else in the conference this year? I forget. Not this year, no. So do we need to preview Notre Dame for a minute, or does it matter with the the, the bashing the Rebels are going to take on the road? I mean, I guess we could, <laughs> if only because, you know, we want to be able to treat every non-conference opponent at least somewhat equally. We did versus and Alabama, Utah Dame, State, too, so. <laughs> I mean, I don't, know if, I don't know if Notre Dame is on anybody's short list for, uh, you know, a college playoff, college football playoff spot, but Fringe. They, Fringe. they might get there. Yeah, they, I mean, they're – Sort of on the outside uh, fringes of the conversation. They went 11 and 2 last year. And of course, we all know Brian Kelly left South Bend for uh, for Louisiana State. They bring in Marcus Freeman from Cincinnati. No, Seems like he's within. been killing it in the recruiting game, at least. So that's something to look forward to. And you know, they've got some pretty good pieces on both sides of the ball. Like, I don't know if, how many all American type pieces they have outside of their maybe their tie in Michael Mayer. Um, but you know, they're you know, the replacement for uh, who's our quarterback last year? I'm trying to remember. Was it Jack Cohn. last year? Was it Cohn? Oh, yeah, Jack Cohn? Yeah, Cohn. Um, Coneheads, remember you know, that. <laughs> but, you know, but Tyler Buchner, you know, played pretty well when he saw the field last year, and he's probably going to be the starter this year. Like the offense might take a step forward, especially since they're also bringing back four of their five starting offensive linemen, too. So, yeah. That's all to say it's probably going to be a long, long day for, for the Rebels in South Bend. Yeah, like Bill Connolly has about um, projected wins at nine, which seems a touch low. They, they're top top 10 off defense, top 10 overall SP plus, 22 offense overall, nearly a lock to be go to a bowl game, which makes sense. The quarterback situation is unclear, like we mentioned, but uh, defense, it would free maybe promote it from within. They'll be fine. And Al Golden's or DC coming in from – I don't know where he's at recently, but he's at Temple, Virginia as well for over the past couple of years. But this will be a unit or a team where if it's within four touchdowns, I'll be surprised. Yeah. So my win is at Hawaii. Is that too risky? Because it's a road game for the Ninth Island Trophy, I think is what it's called. No, I don't think so. I mean, I think you know, we talked about the Warriors a while ago at this point, but I do think that the – are sort of operating in maybe similar bubbles where the offense might be ahead of the defense on paper. Yeah. And if I that's just, the case, and that's the, and that's the case. And that's the kind of game where 
you know, it could go either way where both teams sort of score mostly at will. I think I'm just going with you. And I don't know, maybe because I want to try to get them to six wins and I'm kind of willing that out there, but I don't think, I think when you look at the pecking order, I was on with the guys with um, what ESPN Hawaii out there recently, mm-hmm. I think my pecking order, Nevada is dead last, but I think UNLV and Hawaii are pretty neck and neck for that fourth spot in the West division. Mm-hmm. And, and I probably should be fool, not foolish and big Hawaii at home, but I just, I don't know. There's something about the rebels will, they kind of not that it's where they don't necessarily surprise teams, but they kind of did last year being close to really good teams. And so I think this is another game where it's evenly matched at this point, assuming we don't talk injuries, whatnot, but we know who both teams are. And if Marcus Rowe, he has the coaching edge for multiple years over Timmy Chang, who's never been an OC at any level, just like a, a position coach. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I don't, I just have a gut. It's sort of a kind of a gut feeling where I think Hawaii will, go, will host this game. And and going back to my other projection, going back to Warriors, they were losing. The, both these teams will be coming on a massive losing streak coming into this game. And I just think UNLV, we look at quarterback, I think Cam Froh might be better than Brandon Schrager if he's a starter. Uh, Receiver-wise, Williams is the best receiver on the field compared to what Hawaii has at this moment, I'm thinking. And I just think Hawaii won't get it done. And UNLV's offense hopefully will be coming into their own a little bit to pass the ball a bit more because they weren't bad throwing the ball last year. They moved the ball fairly well passing overall for the most part for what I guess when I'm looking at rebel standards, they weren't terrible. They showed pretty good. They had a kind of a big pendulum swing. I think that may even out and they'll be kind of going up a little bit more to maybe be what 60, like the top seven, just outside the top half passing offense possibly. And that might be enough for Hawaii. Yeah, I mean, I think personally, I'm I'm probably a little more bullish on the Warriors than most, which is why I have this one penciled in as a loss for UNLV. What about for Nevada Day when they host the uh, uh, the guys from Reno, the Wolfpack? I think they can paint the cannon red. Oh, why is that? Well, I mean, we we talked about it a little bit in our Wolfpack podcast. I just I sort of have reservations about. Nevada's ability to generate pressure just because they're replacing so much up front that, you know, even if the secondary plays up to its potential, you know, UNLV might be talented enough to be able to shift gears and sort of steal a win in this one. I have it as Nevada loss, or excuse me, yeah, yeah, sorry, UNLV loss, apologies. But it's going to be a game where, I, even though I just mentioned like 10 seconds ago, Nevada is the worst team in the conference and they get them at home, at least in the West Division. I, I just, I just think here. This is a dumb reason I'm going with this because I should really be flipping these two games where it should be Hawaii loss and Nevada win. Mm-hmm. But I think with Ken Wilson and what he does defensively as a defensive coach mindset coming from Oregon and being at Nevada before, I think his defense will shine where the offense brings. Even, but the offense has some pieces like Toatawa. Um, that's probably the main offensive weapon they have. Will be the biggest threat. I just. I don't know, man. I just think Nevada's going to take care of business and their defense will be too much versus the rebel offense. It might be dumb to say, and I'm kind of, they might be contrarian or whatever, but I just, I hate using gut feeling, but I just think we look at the talent. They're not that, even though Nevada's probably going to finish last in the conference overall, I still think they have enough pieces and it's a rivalry game where they're going to want to get, get this game done. And Toa Tal is a good enough player to control this game, I think. And so I have a loss and then that put, but here's the bright spot for rebel fans. This is five and seven for me. They beat Nevada for me. They go six and six and go to a bowl game. 
Yeah, I've got them at four and eight, two and six overall. In conference, yeah, I have them two and six in conference as well. But compared to what they did last year, if they double their wins, that's that's showing improvement. Because they're at the point where they get to close losses. Now they get convert those into victories. Mm. And the schedule, maybe I'm being a bit too optimistic beating Cal and North Texas, but I think when they play play with the Royal being around for a couple of years, I think he's kind of figured a few things out. So you would hope he would. And maybe he can kind of make some of those adjustments when they're playing on the road at Hawaii or they, they're going to show up versus Mexico and have no issues versus Lobos who aren't going to be all that good. But I just, I think the main sticking point for them to be really good is find a quarterback. Cause that's the thing last year. They played multiple quarterbacks. If they have one guy who's healthy throughout the whole year, whoever it is, that'll go a long way to make the connection with Kyle Williams and the other receivers. Mm-hmm. And if the offense is doing is about average a conference and the defense gets about 99th or better in any of those to, advanced numbers you mentioned like points a lot per drive and sp plus defense or stack great all that stuff improves or not sack yeah i guess getting sacks not secret that's the offensive line but if they improve what they're doing to be in the top 100 i think five wins is in the ballpark if they're a top 100 defense and i don't think that's too unrealistic to ask for i mean i don't i mean i don't think it's out of the question that they get to a bowl but they have to answer like the majority of their questions with this sort a of a resounding exclamation point in order to do that. I think. So what's their yeah, overall? The, what's their biggest concern? Then what's their biggest question mark? You think the defensive defense. line? Okay, I figured. Okay. So like, I yeah. would feel I would feel a lot better about this team if they had been able to keep women and I knew that Scott was healthy. Oh without yeah, either they, of those guys. Without either of those guys, I'm. It it just feels a lot harder to project them for, for anything more than maybe four wins. I will say this. You want to hear a surprise thing that could happen to them this year? I'm going to go on a limb and think, and I think they have a chance to beat San Jose State on the road, possibly. Hmm. Just because, look how, I know there's injuries last year, new quarterback, a couple new receivers. I know they got Fajoko and Kate Hall, but Spards are, I'm still kind of, maybe I'm being wrongly uh, accusatory against them because how bad they've been. Because 2020, I don't think it's a fluke. And last year was more of injury, unluckiness at quarterback and defensive guys not taking a step. But if Kate Hall plays like he did last year and not amazingly good, I could see Rebels maybe sneaking a win out there. Maybe. It's kind of a long shot, but that's one. Compared to the other teams, they're the next most likely to get it. They almost did last year. I know. Like, they're not beating Utah State. They're not beating Notre Dame. They're not beating San Diego State. Not beating Fresno State. Not beating Air Force. And Sparks could go, like, they could win eight games. But I think that's a a sneaky game we should watch for if things go right for them. There's some potential for that to be a spicy game, just like last year. So anything else to add for the uh, rebels here in Las Vegas? I think we are all set. All right. I pick five and seven. Matt picks him four and eight. We have two previews left, New Mexico, San Jose state. So check us out. MWR.com. We have a lot of previews, a lot of first look opponents. We're going to get a handful of things going up. Our top 50 countdowns into full swing. We are, what, three weeks away from college football, football, Matt, week zero? That is correct. Three weekends, we'll be back for college football. So we have a couple shows left, also throughout the whole season, at least two shows a week. And, yeah, just check us out at mwbar.com, and we'll be uh, back next time. Check the feed. Multiple shows this week to play a little catch-up with uh, me being sick and out of town. So we'll be back shortly to preview the final two teams.